good to see you here tonight. And um, I'm going to show you a video presentation in a few moments' time. Because last Wednesday evening, a large gathering of Elam ministers uh, came together in Birmingham for a day of celebration and seeking God. Because a hundred years last Wednesday, our Elim movement uh, was born. So it's our hundred year anniversary. Isn't that amazing? Kensington Temple is part of the Elim Pentecostal movement of Great Britain. And a hundred years ago, last Wednesday, George Jeffries, uh, who was the pioneer and leader of the Elim movement, met together with a few young men and women, <coughs> and they covenanted together to try and reach Great Britain for Christ. And uh, George Jeffries was not only the pioneer of the Elim movement, but also this was uh, his church that he pioneered. He bought this church, I think in the late 30s, early 40s, and uh, named it Kensington Temple. It was called Horbury Chapel. In fact, this church was a, in, in the 1840s, it was a church plant into this new area to reach the people as London was expanding. George Jeffries used this as his headquarters building and would often hold revival campaigns here, nightly meetings. People would seek God, get saved, powerful healing and, uh, and, and miracles. And so uh, why don't you sit back and just see this short presentation. So there'll be various things happening this year celebrating uh, the Elim Centenary. Uh, we're going to be involved 
in uh, the autumn in meeting together with some of the other Elim churches in uh, London, in Westminster Central Hall for a celebration. So um, that's good. Oh, also to say that the movement has produced this sort of like, it's one of those coffee table types of books called Defining Moments, A Hundred Years of the Elim Pentecostal Church. And in it are pictures and a little bit of the history and characters of what's happened in the Elim churches over the last 100 years or so. There's a, a section on Kensington Temple as well. And so uh, you, if you're interested in such things, you can get hold of this. We've got them at a special price at the moment of £15. That'll go up later in a month or so. But if, if that's the sort of thing, there's only a limited edition being printed. So, uh, you know, these, these are going to be something that you keep for a long time. So we have those available in the bookshop if that's something that you're interested about. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you might like to turn to Hosea chapter 14. I'd like to read the last chapter of Hosea tonight and minister out of that to you this evening. Hosea, a great prophet, God called him to do a lot of things, uh, called him to marry an adulterous wife. He had a terrible marriage and God told him to do that because his marrying an adulterous wife and never giving up on her was a picture of God's relationship with his adulterous people. But Throughout Hosea, we come now to the last chapter. And this is really God's heart for his people. And uh, is a summary of everything that Hosea wanted to say, despite all the unfaithfulness of God's people to God. So Hosea chapter 14, verse 1. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you, you words... And return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all sin. Accept what is good. And we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. And we will no, say no more, our God, to the works of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I will be like the Jew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them but transgressors stumble in them. A very powerful plea from God to his people to return to him. You know, I've already mentioned that Hosea was asked by God really to marry a prostitute and a woman that would be unfaithful to him. And uh, Hosea was not allowed to divorce 
this woman, despite her unfaithfulness. On the contrary, he actually was sent to pursue her and actually to pay those that were using her as a prostitute to buy her back and redeem her. It's an incredible thing that God would ask a prophet to go through such a difficult and painful life simply to get his message across to his people. You you would think that preaching might be enough, but not in Hosea's case. God wanted his prophet to not just talk about what God was experiencing, but actually to experience what God was experiencing. Can you imagine, and when you read Hosea, you, you see the power of it, that this wasn't just a man saying, this is what God feels. This was a man saying, this is what God feels, and I know exactly what God feels, because I've experienced it myself. This is an important thing when we talk about preaching and teaching the gospel, because it may be that somebody has a gift of oration, or an academic gift, able to study the scriptures. But what we're looking for really today is men and women that preach the gospel, not just out of doctrine, but out of experience. That they have experienced God. And when they talk about the things of God, it's not just mind, knowledge, but it's heart experience. They have experienced God. But also, even more importantly, well, not, sorry, not more importantly, but as importantly in experiencing God is experiencing how God feels about people and things. I think today in modern Christianity, and thank God for it, there is a great deal of emphasis on experiencing God. When was your last experience with God? When did you last meet with God? When did you last seek God and find God? When did you last have a God encounter in your life? When did you last discover something new about God or something new about you from God? All these things are wonderful because it really is all about the heart. We call these evenings the Holy Spirit fire service. We're not claiming anything, but we are pursuing something and experience with the living God. That's what we want in our lives and in our hearts. That's why we're here tonight. But it's not just about experiencing God. That is fantastic. But God wants a people that will also experience how he feels about different situations. You see, Hosea could have had an experience with God, and he did. A powerful experience with God. And he could have spoken out of his experience with God. He met with God. God met with him. God's fire burned within his bones. He had a relationship with God. But God wanted him to be even more mature than that, to go even deeper with him. God was saying, Hosea, I don't just want you to experience me and to have a relationship with me. I want you to experience how I feel about the rest of the world. I want you to experience my feelings concerning my people, Israel. I want you to know what it's like to stand in my shoes. I want you to experience the very things that I've experienced. You you might know my pain, and you might know my desire for my people, and that you might know my heart, not just for you, but my heart for the world around you. That's a powerful thing. Because in modern Christianity, 
We're very much wanting to experience God for ourselves. Nothing wrong with that. But God, I want you, I need you, God, for me. God, touch my life. God, feel what I'm feeling. Hear what I'm hearing. Lord, want to be one-on-one with you, face-to-face with you. Want to know you, Lord. All of that is wonderful. But what about the time when God starts to say, well, that's wonderful, that's glorious. But how about you start to feel how I feel about what's going on in London? How about you begin to feel how I feel about what's going on in the wider body of Christ. How about you, feel, you get to feel how I feel, the Lord feels, about what's gone on in France in the last week. Not that we know what's going on, but we begin to have God's heart for situations. And begin to say, you know, we can, because we, we can be very self interested in our relationship with God. And that's all right. That's where it begins. But there's enough going on in our lives to keep us busy with God. Who wants to be brokenhearted over Europe? Who's got time to be brokenhearted over broken Britain? Who's got time to, to feel what God feels for the lost? What God feels for those that have turned against him and governments that have ignored him. How does he feel about these things? You know, God, how do you feel about me? Lord, I know you love me. And, but who's got time for these things? Hosea had time for these things. In fact, God told him. God said, I don't just want you to, to think how I feel. I want you to so identify with how I feel about my people, that I'm going to put you through the very same thing. And this meant that Hosea's message came with an added dimension, that when he was speaking about God's desire for his unfaithful people, he was burning with the same desire for his unfaithful wife. This prophet was united with God's spirit and was able to speak and minister effectively. So that when we come to chapter 14, it is such a poignant, deep, emotional and spiritual message. It's not just another chapter in the Bible or the end of Hosea. It is a culmination of an experience, an observation on a people that had left God and gone after other gods and gone after other things. And Hosea had experienced and described not only what God had felt, but said, I have also been through what God has been through. And so that when finally with the, we have had the chapters of how God's angry, God's judgment, God's fury... God's destruction, God's wrath. Yet at the same time, we find this great tenderness. And you can imagine how Hosea felt as a husband when he heard what his wife had been up to and what she was doing and the unfaithfulness. How hurt he must have been, yet also how angry he must have been. Not only with the uh, men that she'd gone off with, but his feeling of betrayal, he provided for her, he'd looked after her, 
But somehow, Hosea wasn't enough for her, and she had to seek other people to, to, to get what she wanted. And his anger, betrayal, fury, bitterness, pain, and how his reaction would be that he wouldn't want anything more to do with her. Well, all of these are echoed in how, echoed in how God feels about his people. And yet, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. You've stumbled because of your sin. Take with you words and return to the Lord. I like that. You come back, but you've got some words to say. You've been far from the Lord, or you've been going after other things and uh, committing spiritual adultery. I'll come to that in a minute. And God is calling on us to return to him in a deeper manner. But when you return to him, you don't just return as if nothing had happened. You return to him with words. And you say, Lord, take away my sin. We accept what is good. And it says, we will pay with balls the vows of our lips. What had, what had been happening was, is that Israel had been going after other gods and going after other idols. And they'd been spending a lot of their money and a lot of their resources and a lot of their times into idolatry and idolatry and worship. They'd been putting their life, their time, their resources, their money, and their energy into false gods. Just like Goma, Hosea's wife, had been putting her time and her energy into going after other, other men instead of being with her husband. And here it says, come back, but come back with words. There's some business that needs to be done with God. It says, we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. And, and this is talking about sacrifice. In other words, this wasn't just a returning to the Lord with lips. Come with words, but it's more than that. It's coming back to the Lord, not just with words. I mean, we could hold an altar call right now, couldn't we? And do business with God, and, and we could say certain words. And, you know, there's, there's a song, You'll Never See Me Sing. Never see, you can watch me, I won't sing it. I surrender all. I refuse to be a liar. I hate that song. I hate it. I hate it with an everlasting hate. I really do hate it. Because I just hate it. It's just, it's just what, everybody's sinning, singing it. And it, we could all sing, I surrender all. But we haven't. We'd like to surrender all. We're under, we hopefully, we're on a journey but none of you have surrendered all. I have not surrendered all. Why would we sing that? Hate it. Now, this isn't just coming with your lips and saying, I surrender all. No, we will pay with balls. The idea is sacrifice. In other words, I'm ser we're serious with you, God. We're no longer going to put our resources, our energy, and our attention to idolatrous things, to things that take your place to spiritual adultery. We're not going to put our energies into those things anymore. But we're going to come back to you and we've got words that we want to say to you. But we're not just going to say words. We're going to, we're going to show our words by what we do. We're going to put our resources into you, Lord. We're going to give you our attention. It, we're going to pay a price, not because not you have to pay a price, because you want to. You want to give. In a healthy marriage, you do things for one another, don't you? Remember, Hosea is all about a marriage analogy. You know, if you, know, if you have a wife and you never 
spend time with her. You never bless her. You never give her anything. You never, you know, if it's her birthday and you buy her some cheap trinket, well, what, what's your wife going to think about that? And vice versa. No, you, you understand that for your wife, you're going to invest time in her that you wouldn't invest in anybody else. You're going to appreciate her in a way that you wouldn't appreciate anybody else. You're going to value her. And sometimes value does have a price tag, doesn't it, ladies? Sometimes it does. Just thought I'd throw that in for the girls. Cost, value, you're going to do something. And so God is calling people back to him out of spiritual adultery and out of putting their resources in everything that has replaced him and to come back with words, but also to say, God, I'm back here, I'm going to pursue you, and I'm going to put value on you. I'm not just talking about tithes and offerings. We're talking about, I'm going to value you, Lord, with my life, with my time, with my devotion, with my praise. I'm not, I'm not going to, 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 to stay away anymore. I'm going, I'm going to focus on our marriage covenant together. There's going to be an exclusivity in my life with God that there hasn't been before. You see, it may be that you're a good, strong Christian. I mean, the fact of the matter is, the very fact that you're here on a Sunday evening says something about you. Because the majority of Christians, the most you can ask is that they come on a Sunday morning. The idea of them coming out on a Sunday night, well, you know, it's just just not going to happen to most of them. They don't want to seek God on an evening. But you're here, so I'm preaching to the converted in one sense, but... but we can still, you know, even in a good marriage, sometimes you need to work on that marriage. Even, even on a good marriage, sometimes you can take a good marriage for granted. You can take a relationship. So even if, even, even if you walk in with the Lord, you know, there's, there's deeper levels of experience. And we know that that is the most powerful image in the whole of the Bible for God's relationship with his people, is marriage. Right through the Old Testament, God is the bridegroom and Israel is the bride. Going on into the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself and is referred to as as the bridegroom. And the church is his bride. We know that when Paul speaks about the uh, marriage covenant and about marriage between a man and a woman in Ephesians 5, he says, you know, this is a great, ministry, a great mystery that when a, a man, and a man will love his wife as his own body and will present her pure and spotless and that this is a picture of God and Christ and the bride, his church. It's, it's a picture. Human marriage is a genuine biblical marriage. Why is it under such attack? Because it's the greatest picture of God and his people. That's why the world has turned marriage into whatever they want to turn it into. And you know what? They can go ahead and do it. That's the world for you. You can't tell non-people that aren't born again what to do. You can't tell them what to do. Sodom will be Sodom. Gomorrah will be Gomorrah. Babylon will be Babylon. We're not here to reform Babylon. We're here to call people out of Babylon into the kingdom of God. That's how we're going to 
change lives. We want to change Europe. It's by preaching the gospel. We don't try and change Babylon. We call people out of Babylon. And that will change Babylon. And so the, the biblical picture of marriage is a wonderful biblical picture because it talks about who God is and who we are. And we know that when all of this is done and dusted, when Jesus has returned, when all's said and done, and before the new heavens and the new earth, the whole of history is going to culminate in a wedding banquet, a wedding reception, what we call the marriage supper of the Lamb. So this marriage theme is right through. It's there in Genesis, and it goes right through. And what we see in biblical marriage on earth is a picture about God's marriage covenant with his people through the ages. In verse 3, it says, Assyria shall not save us, and will not ride on our horses. What's this? Again, this is, this is the children of Israel thinking to themselves, you know, the only way that we're going to survive as a nation is by looking to Assyria to save us with their troops and to save us and to look after us against Egypt and, and, we, and we should look to them for our help, look to them for our resources and ride on their horses and use their equipment. And uh, they're saying, look, from now on, when you return to the Lord, you no longer rely on the resources that are outside God. You trust God. You believe God. Your faith becomes your resource. Your faith becomes your resource. And then I love this slipped in here. And we'll no more say our God to the work of our hands, idolatry. In you the orphan finds mercy. There's always a place for those that are in need in God's gospel. Now, we can move on from there, but I, I, I don't want to finish there. I just want to go to James. Because I think James has Hosea in mind in James chapter 4. And in James chapter 4, he's dealing with a, a, a group of Christians that are committing New Testament spiritual adultery. In other words, they are going to everything but God to get their needs met, their relational needs, needs met. I mean... Before we get to the spiritual adultery of verse 4, let me read from verse 1. and You get the background of this, James 4. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Then he begins to explain what that means. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So here is a picture of what James calls spiritual 
adultery. That's what he says. He says, you adulterous people. Why? Because they are going after the world. They are flirting with the world. Straight after that, he says, you know, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In other words, the object of adultery is the world and everything that the world has. And the world can come to us in many different forms. Many different forms. We can commit spiritual adultery in many different forms. And those that James spoke to were committing spiritual adultery in many different forms. I've just completed my book on James. It's going to be out in the spring and summer. And when you look at the people that James was speaking to, there was much that was going on in their spiritual adultery, and it was all focused on the world. They had worldly wisdom, wisdom from below rather than wisdom from above. It was sensual, it was carnal, it was selfish, it was demonic. They were materialistic. Right in the beginning of James and right at the end of the James, he takes those that have great desires for materialism to task and he does it in a very, very strong way. What was happening was that the rich were relying on their riches. They were relying on their material possessions. They were putting their hope in what money could buy, in, in the pleasures that, 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 um, that recreation could give them. And they were putting all their lives' heart into that to get their needs met. That was what they were committing adultery with. Recreation and, and what wealth could give them. Um, they, they, were, they were going after designer clothes as a part in James where it speaks about Jesus the glory. And then straight after that, it talks about how somebody came into the congregation, a rich man, and he was immediately put at the front row and courted. And this rich man in the Greek, it literally says in the Greek, when it describes this rich man, that he had gold fingers and shining clothes. Basically, it was his bling. Gold fingers, literally in the Greek, and shining clothes. Just after speaking about Jesus the glory, the outshining of everything that Jesus was, and here comes this rich man. And, and the point is this, is they were trading the glory of the bridegroom for the bling of something that was false, the shining suit, the gold fingers. And the reason that they were treating this person in such man was they wanted something from him. They wanted something from him. They thought this rich man, if they could, 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 could meet their need. And so the poor man that was dressed in filthy rags was, well, there was nothing they could get from him. This is talking about the worldliness of people that are always making relationships in order to see what they can get out of them. They don't care about the poor, what the poor got to give. They don't care about the nobodies, nobody can't help me. I need a somebody, I need friends with the rich and famous, or maybe not the rich and famous, maybe just the in crowd. And there's a problem in Western Christianity of the in crowd. Some churches are built on being in the in crowd. If you're in the in crowd, you're somebody. If you're not worthy of being in the, in the crowd, you're nobody. Some churches are built on that. Why? Because you, you're looking to see what you can get out of that person. And James warns the rich later on, he says, don't you understand? All your clothes are moth-eaten. 
and all your gold and jewelry are tarnished. Well, their clothes weren't moth-eaten. They were straight out of Gucci, Armani, or whatever. Their, their gold was not tarnished. Their gold was shining. But what James was saying is, you have to realize eternally and spiritually that what you think is so special is not special at all. And if you're wealthy, the way to treat your wealth as if it, the way to treat your wealth is very lightly, as if it is tarnished, as if it is rotten, as if it is moth-eaten. And that way you'll hold it with a light touch and you'll use it for the kingdom of God. They were also arguing and fighting over who was the best, who was in charge, who should be preferred. They were arguing, fighting. Why were they arguing and fighting? They were arguing and fighting because they all wanted the same things. And they felt that they had to argue or to fight to get what they wanted. They were driven by their passions and their desires. It says they were driven by their passions and their desires. But their passion and desire was not for their husband. This is the spiritual adultery element. Their passions and desires were for the things of the world that they were fighting over. Position or wealth or, or, or whatever it might be. And they saw that in the world, this world has limited resources. That's why there are wars so often, aren't there? Limited oil, limited wealth, limited land. And so the, the wars throughout history have usually been wars about resources. We'll, we'll conquer this land and, and we'll take their plunder. And so this church too was fighting about limited resources. And all this, James says, is spiritual adultery. It was exactly what Hosea was facing in his time and in his personal life. It says, friendship with the world or worldliness is adultery. You cannot be a friend of the world and a friend of God. You know, in, in some parts of Europe, the next step for their change of marriage is that now it's not just that you'll be able to marry if you're a female to a female, a male to a male. The next step, which is already take, going forward in places like Holland, is the next step, you'll be able to marry in threes and fours. Because the next step is this. The next step is this. Hey, why does marriage, before it was why does marriage have to be limited between a man and a woman? The next step is why does it need to be uh, limited to two people. So people are already making a case for the fact that, hey, I, I, I love both these ladies. I love both these gentlemen. In fact, we three love each other. Who are you to tell us that we can't have a marriage of three? It's already in motion. Already in motion. And, um, and this, 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 is, this is important for us to understand. An attack on marriage is an attack on the image of God. But don't worry about it. Keep believing God because we're not here to reform Babylon. We're here to call people out. And those that the Lord knows will come out. Friendship with the world. So you, you can't have two husbands. You can't have God and the world. You can't, you, 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 you can't have, you, uh, to put it bluntly, you can't have a threesome. You cannot have God as your lover and the world is your lover. God won't have it. 
And some Christians think that they can. And James uses this language very powerfully. It's strong language, isn't it? It's distasteful language. It's powerful language as well. And God is saying, you can't, God is saying, no, no, you you can't do this. Earlier on, we see Abraham. He was called a friend of God. Just because you're a child of God does not mean that you are a friend of God. You can be a child of God without being a friend of God. Do you know that? We know that in, in families. Sometimes children fall out with their parents, don't they? And the parents might even disinherit their children. Might be, get that bad. But one thing that never changes is that child is still a child and the parents are still parents. Still the father and the mother Still the son and the daughter. But they can, be, they can have no relationship at all. You hear these terrible situations of children that don't speak to their parents or vice versa. Parents that speak to their children for years and years and years. But one thing never changes. Still a child. Still a parent. But not friends. One thing never changes if you're a child of God. You're a child of God. You weren't born of your own will, John chapter 1 says. Or the will of man. But you were born again by the will of God. God brought you into this kingdom. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you are, in fact, you're not automatically his friend. Another song that I don't hate, I don't, I quite like it, I sing it, but I'm careful when I'm singing it, is I am a friend of God. You know that one? It's a good song, isn't it? I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. You like that one, don't you? You sing that one loads of times. I am a friend of God. What's the last thing? He calls me friends. So lots of friends. Okay, I am a friend of God. James chapter 4. <laughs> but, and it's a great song. But to think that that song is automatically true of all believers is not true. So someone in the world, going after the world, not seeking God, not trying to deal with issues... Singing, I am a friend of God, and God's going, you're not a friend of mine. You're a friend of the world. And we need to think about these things. Now, I know it's not all or nothing, but we have to think about our friendship. We have, we have to think about Hosea. See, Hosea's not, message is not just for Old Testament, it's for today. And, and James' message is not just for the New Testament church, it's, it's for today. Who wishes, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you not suppose that Scripture says he earns the spirit? Now, you can translate this in various ways from the Greek. And the the way that I like is when it speaks about, Scripture says that the spirit yearns jealously over us. And that makes sense. He yearns jealously. There's the phrase. Well, who's jealous? Who's jealous? First of all, it's yeah, exactly. First of all, it's spiritual adultery. But who's jealous? You're only jealous if the adultery is being taken against you. The husband is jealous. So there, James says you're committing spiritual adultery. Who with the world? And therefore, if you're a friend with the world, you're no friend to God. You, you are breaking the marriage vows. Now, thank God, God has not divorced you. And he won't. He won't divorce you. No matter how much of a goma somebody might be, God will not divorce. 
And that was his message because Hosea was not allowed to divorce Gomer. And God never divorced Israel. And here in James, God is not, not about to divorce, but there is a breakdown in the marriage. He's every right to divorce. Every right to divorce. Because if there's one thing we know about the New Testament, if there's one reason that you can divorce, it's adultery. So spiritual adultery, he has every right to divorce, even by his own standards. But he doesn't. Instead, we see, he says, you're no friend of mine. You're not a friend of God. And you don't get the benefits of friendship when you're not a friend of God. You know, the benefits of friendship are wonderful, aren't they? Not just in a good marriage, but the benefits of friendship. You don't have the benefits of relationship, the benefits of friendship, the benefits of the intimacy with the Holy Spirit. But then we get this picture, but he yearns jealously over us. It's the Holy Spirit. And then you get this picture. This is, this is why it's all about passion in chapter 4. It says your passions, you're driven by your passions, your adulterous passions. But we know that the flesh has passions, but the Holy Spirit has passions too. And the flesh passions we know well, but the Holy Spirit has passions, and they are against one another. I mean, the, the picture is, is of a jealous husband who wants to beat up this person that's taken his precious bride. You know, and that's why they are at war with one another, aren't they, in Galatians? The flesh wars against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh. What are they warring over? The bride. There is a war over the bride of Christ. There is the adultery of the world. The world is coming with its shining fingers. Sorry, it's golden fingers and it's shining suits and its own glory and trying to entice the bride of Christ. That's what it's trying to do. It's trying to lure, entrap, entice the bride of Christ into adultery and it's using all its powers and all its passions to try and pull you. That's on the one side. But on the other side, the Holy Spirit yearns passionately passionately. And what we need more than ever today is an intervention of the Holy Spirit in the bride of Christ. We call that revival. We need the Holy Spirit to come back and take his bride back. We need the Holy Spirit's passion to be demonstrated for a divine intervention where this passion that we've seen, this yearning of the Holy Spirit comes into action in individuals' lives but also corporately in the church. That's what revival is. When God sends his spirit and brings his church out of spiritual adultery and friendship in the world. And the passion of the Holy Spirit begins to increase in people's lives and overcomes the weakness of the flesh. But he gives more grace. I love that, verse 6. He yearns, the spirit yearns jealously over us and he gives more grace. Isn't that wonderful? He gives more grace. We see that in Hosea. You know, if, if, if justice was given, we'd be divorced. But thank God he hasn't dealt with you according to his justice. He's dealt you, with you according to his grace. And so here the picture is of friendship with the world, spiritual adultery. But the Holy Spirit is yearning, desiring. He loves us so much. He yearns for us so much. He's such a faithful, loving husband, God is. 
God loves his bride so passionately, so deeply, so jealously, so powerfully, so greatly. We see that in Hosea. We see that here in James. Then the passion, and that is demonstrated through the work of the Spirit in our church, and he gives us grace. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so what God is looking is for his bride also to come back to him, which takes us finally back to Hosea. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Come, come to him. And then verse 4 of chapter 14, I'll heal their apostasy. That's their adultery. I will love them freely. My anger has turned to them. And then beautiful, I'll be due to Israel. Israel will blossom. Shall take root, shoots will spread out, they'll be beautified and fragrant, and they will return and dwell beneath my shadow. They'll flourish and blossom and their fame, and, and they will and they will come back and oh Ephraim, what they have to do with idols, they will turn from their idols to the evergreen cypress. So we get this wonderful picture here of this marriage covenant and how how incredible, merciful God is, his strong, passionate desire for our lives, that he is yearning for us no matter how far we are or how, how in bed with the world we are. God is calling us back. God is wanting to bring us to himself. God is yearning for his bride. And you know, we believe that God wants to send revival. Well, what I've just given you is a blueprint for revival. And our role is to cooperate with the working and yearnings of the Spirit in our lives. Because the Holy Spirit is already calling to us, not just through this word, but he's calling to us anyway. He's already still working on us. And what do we do? We return. It's time for the Gomers to come home. Do you know what I'm saying? It's time for the Gomers to come home. It's time for us to come back home to our husband. And you saw the benefits at the end of that chapter. How he's going to look after us. How he's going to take care of us like a good husband in those days would look after the needs of his wife, beautify his wife. You know, isn't it wonderful in Ephesians 5? It talks about how a husband's meant to love his wife as Christ loves the church. In other words... A husband is, is to dignify his wife above all things, to beautify her, respect her, and, and, make her, and provide for her, and basically to, to, to make her a glorious person because of the love of the husband. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. Let's just, can I have the musicians back? Let's just pause for a moment and reflect in our lives, right where you're sitting. Reflect on this imagery, or what it means to you and what God is speaking to you. I'm not saying you've, you're all committing spiritual adultery in the house tonight. I'm not saying anything like that. You probably wouldn't be here if you didn't love the Lord and love him in a passionate way. You could be at home watching TV. So I'm not saying that. But still, there are words in this that can speak to our hearts about how our marriage with God is and about his longings for us and his workings in our spirit. So Lord, we, 
invite you by your Holy Spirit to come to us right now. And Lord, we hear the words of James. We hear the words. And more than the sort of spiritual adultery, we hear the the deep yearnings and longings of God. We hear the prophet Haggai and his tremendous patience with his wife. How he never gave up on her. Thank you, you never give up on us. We hear your hatred of the things of the world. That you refuse to be friends with anybody that's friends with the world. Lord, we ask that you will allow us to see what the church James was writing to didn't see friendship with the world is enemy with our own father that everything of of the world is of the flesh Lord whatever's idolatrous in our lives big or small in the Old Testament they had big idols and small idols saying everybody's got massive idols but sometimes it's the small idols that take our attention that take our focus that take our time that take our energy that take our resources. It's the little idols sometimes. The things of the world that glitter, shine. Sometimes we forget the glory of Jesus and go after the glory of this world with its corruptible riches that we can't take with us. Lord, work in us. Call us home. We want to be friends of God. We want to not just sing, I'm a friend of God, but know that the Spirit of God is walking with us. We want the intimacy of friendship, the blessing of friendship, the closeness of friendship, the strength of friendship with God. Spirit, work on our lives, we pray. Lord, we know in the end times you want to raise up an end time church. An end time church that is mature, spotless, ready for the marriage banquet. Maybe you're in this place today and uh, You really need to get right with God. We all can go deeper with God. There's a word tonight for everybody. You really need to get right with God. Whether you're a Christian or you think you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, it doesn't matter. But but you say, hey, you know what? I'm a friend of the world. I spend more time in the world than I do with God. I spend more time with the world flirting with the world the world's got my attention the world's got my resources, the world's got my time the world's got my focus the world's got my energy and you're flirting with the world you're courting the world God is saying come to me come to me return to me or come to me perhaps for the first time or return to me Come to home where you belong to your husband. 
God will beautify you and look after you and watch over you and you'll grow in friendship with him instead of the world. You'll grow in knowledge with him instead of the world. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to make the decision to come home to the Lord or come to the Lord and say, I don't want what the world's got to offer. I want what God's got to offer, the faithful God. God that refuses to divorce me, the God that refuses but yearns longingly for me. If that's you in this place today, right where you're sitting, I just want to lift your hand right where you are. I'm going to pray for you, just where you are. God can meet you. So I just lift you. You're lifting your hand really to the Lord. It's not like I'm going to. You're lifting it to God. You're saying, "I'm coming home, Lord." Oh Lord, I, I recognize something that's been spoken prophetically into my life today or those on the internet too God is speaking to you and you say I understand Lord you're calling me home you're calling me home as a bride Lord right where people are responding I pray that your Holy Spirit is doing this work calling them home that you will touch them right now more grace as James says more grace as they humble themselves and come to them and say Lord I need to be more devoted to you maybe some of us in this place we've uh, we've not been putting enough attention into our marriage just like a husband who ignores his wife or a wife who ignores his husband we say in the natural you need to work on your marriage you need to put energy into your marriage you need to put value into your marriage you need to put time into your marriage you need to put focus and intimacy and fellowship into your marriage and you're saying well I know I'm married it's not that I've gone off with the world but um, my marriage relationship with God is uh, well it's not the best of marriages it's not God's fault it's not the best of marriages can be it can be it can be God's calling to you strengthen your marriage relationship with him bride of Christ alongside the bridegroom Christ himself what a formidable partnership just do business with God right where you are Just do business with God right where you are. We're going to sing I Surrender All. We're not actually. No. But right where you are, just do business with him. The Holy Spirit is doing some marriage counseling in this place tonight. Marriage counseling. That's what he's doing in people's lives. He's doing some marriage counseling. Some people spend more time on their earthly marriage than their heavenly marriage. Some people spend more time, they think, on their heavenly marriage than their earthly marriage. It's not meant to be so. The two are meant to be mirrored. And this is why, strangely enough, Paul says, you know what, if you're not married, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Why? Because you can put even more into the bridegroom even more into the bridegroom. 
God, in these moments, we come to you. What can we say? What can we do? Here we are before you. We're not hiding anything. We're coming to the light. We're asking you to work on us, through us. Fan into flame the passions of the Spirit. Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you will intervene in our lives. We need the God that intervenes. Without it, we're lost. We need the God that intervenes, the Holy Spirit that comes, visits, works. We can't do it ourselves. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. We humble ourselves for more grace. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would intervene in our lives. Because if you don't intervene, we'll just stay where we are. Or backslide, but if in your mercy you'll reach out to us, Holy Spirit. Work on the inside of our lives. Work in our circumstances and reveal yourself to us and awaken us to the Father and breathe and revive us, Lord. Only you can revive us. Only you can fan the flames of passion for the Master. Holy Spirit, only you can turn the bride to the bridegroom. Holy Spirit, you said, or Jesus said that he would send you, Lord, and you wouldn't come and speak of yourself. You've come on behalf of the bridegroom, Jesus. You'd take of him and bring to us that you would reveal the bridegroom in all his glory. Jesus, the glory to your bride. Show his beauty to us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will magnify the Lord. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will show us Jesus that we might love him deeper and better. We pray that you would work in our heart to get rid of the things that pull us into the world that we might be free to love the Master. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll give us a clearer vision of the bridegroom for when we see him and know him, we'll love him even more. You place the love of God in our hearts. You poured the love of God in our hearts. Now bring forth the love in our hearts to the Master. Awaken us, warm us. We don't want to lose our first love, Lord. Holy Spirit, we don't want to lose our first love. We want to increase our first love. We want our first love to be matured. We want to love the Lord more. And we know that just saying it or singing it doesn't do it. It's got to be a work of you, Lord. We're asking for your help, Holy Spirit. We know the Lord is knocking at the door to come into our lives, speaking to his church, speaking to his church, the bride of Christ, the bride of God, called for intimacy, fellowship and partnership, fruitfulness, Oh, Holy Spirit, we invite you to work in our church and our lives. We invite you to reveal things in our hearts that will show the beauty of Jesus. Lord, you have a passion for us, James said. It's like you have this jealousy for us, Holy Spirit. We pray that you will manifest your jealousy in intervening, in bringing us deeper in God, in doing a deeper work in us. Lord, don't let the marriage covenant fade. But Lord, let it be deeper, like a good marriage over the years deepens, deals with its issues, matures, grows. Lord, so we ask that we will deepen in our understanding and love of God. 
that your Holy Spirit will take us on that journey. We pray that you'll work in greater ways from this night forth. That you will have an agenda of passion and jealousy to work in us. That you will work your works, O oh God, in our lives. Without you, we can do nothing. But with you, we can do everything. Revive your work in these days that we might rejoice in you. Pour out your grace and mercy, we pray. Do the work of God. We release the workings of the Holy Spirit in lives tonight. The workings of God. The workings of the Spirit. We release them in the name of Jesus prophetically. We release interventions of the Spirit in people's hearts and lives and circumstances. Prophetically release an increase of the work of God, an increase of the work of the Spirit. We activate new works of the Holy Spirit in people's lives, interventions, interventions and manifestations of the Holy Spirit, yet more grace. Plead for these things, Lord. If I have the ministry team here at the front, we're going to stand together just going to go out worshipping the Lord and if there's something you need prayer for a sickness or a situation or you just want prayer as you're responding tonight you say I want to respond to this message and I want to be prayed for as we go into the next 10 minutes or so worshipping the Lord we'll pray for you for anything that you need here tonight so let's all stand together all together if you need to leave you can leave when you need to and let's worship the bridegroom